But we're doing a doozy of a scripture this morning. We're working our way through James. It is this wonderful book. James is a powerful writer, and he really doesn't beat around the bush on anything. He's got some stuff to say today. He's carrying on this theme that we captured about being doers of the word, people whose outward lives reflect the things that God has done with us on the inside. As we look today to this passage about words, about speaking, about tongues, let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. So this, this is all Mrs. Converse's fault, really, in the way that every student can blame their teachers for all of their failings and all of their successes without ever bothering to distinguish between This is Converse, topic class on public speaking and debate at my high school. A class I had chosen as an easy way to be done with English, done with reading and writing forever. I clearly had no idea where my life was headed, or at least where I'd be pointed once Mrs. Converse was done with. Now the class was easy. I remember that she staged a tongue twister competition one day in class, and there was another when we spent the time outside on the school lawn playing a version of kickball that somehow reinforced important vocabulary words. It was not a difficult class, and I skated by with little effort, and yet, somehow, she still noticed me. To the best of my recollection, I hadn't even done a presentation in her class, but she decided to change my life forever. Perhaps she Notice some tremor of possibility in my too loud for the indoors voice. Maybe she had quietly attended one of the school's musical productions where I was consistently typecast as whichever iteration of the father figure was written into that year's particular script. Maybe she just got lucky. However it happened, she held me briefly after class one day to insist that I participate in the school's poetry recitation competition. Now I agreed to compete but knew nothing about poetry. And so thankfully, she chose the poem for me. It was Purchase by Robert Frost. Purchase by Robert Frost was long and unfamiliar. I worked at memorizing it word for word from the very beginning. When I see Purchase bend to left and right, Robert Frost wrote, across the line of straighter, darker trees, I like to think some boys in the sweet. I'd never memorized the poem. Between classes and in quiet moments, I found myself mouthing the words of the poem. I started paying attention to the trees lining the sidewalk. I took my way to school. I pictured myself swinging on their branches, climbing out on tree limbs until they gave way and the heavens bent beneath the earth. I never actually tried it, but I learned the words. When I thought I had committed the entirety of the word to memory, Mrs. Converse took me to the landing at the top of the school staircase, where we overlooked the main hallway and more than a few students still wandering there after the last bell of the day. And it was there, without any fanfare, that she had me recite the poem. She had a printed copy of the poem, and she made notes as I went, marking all of the words that I missed or transposed or got wrong in some way or another. And we worked on my performance, but it was really my memory that caused the most challenges. 
And it frustrated me because my errors were minor and rarely got in the way of understanding the larger poem. I mean, was every word really so important? This is Congress Boston. Robert Frostmakers had apparently chosen his words carefully, leaving some sort of metaphor about life and death. It was my time, as a sheltered 16-year-old with hardly more experience in living than in dying, to get it exactly right. I'd like to get away from Earth a while, this poem said, and then come back to it and begin over. He returned that stairwell over and over. I climbed a thousand imaginary birches and swung on their branches to the sky. And eventually, the stairwell became a school auditorium, which became the state line competition, and I recited Mr. Frost's birches to the audience and the panel of judges as fast as I could remember it. When the points were tapped, they awarded me the first runner. I had made too many deviations from the text to do any better than that. The words matter. James Ruth. Some years later, I would rely on my high school public speaking course far more than I ever expected when, while attending seminary, I interned at a local church. It was an empowering experience. The senior pastor there was gracious and far too willing to let me muddle through sermons in the pulpit both when she was there and when she wasn't. The congregation was generous with their praise and never critiqued my messages nearly as much as until one week. One week when the pastor was out of town and five police officers were shot and killed one city over in the middle of Black Lives Matter protests. And in some terrible display of providence, the scripture that had already been selected for that Sunday practically invited theological commentary on the news story. And so I labored over the words of my manuscript. I labored and I prayed I preached. It went over okay at first. There was an abundance of gracious comments and words of appreciation, but there was also a man who followed me from the sanctuary, and he lingered in the doorway with obvious discomfort as the congregation slowly dissipated. Everything about his posture, from the ramrod straight spine to his darting eyes, spoke of barely withheld anger. There was only when the room was empty and he I remember he was a police officer. He started to shout. He started to shout and said that he had never been so insulted in his life and would never be returning to that church or any church ever again. And I believed him on every account. When he was finished, there was a silence that I attempted to fill with a trembling apology before he angrily turned and left. I went home. I cried until I stopped shaking. I picked my battered spirit far up, enough off the ground to nail the man an apology before crawling into my manuscript. I was sure I had gotten the words wrong somewhere in there, had misspoken or miswritten something, had confused or conflated what should have been said. What had I said? The words matter, I knew. The words we share carry far more weight than just the sum of their letters and their syllables. It is words that can bless and words that can curse. Words that can heal and words that can harm. Words that can draw us together and words that can cast us out. James 
knows the power of words and the impact they can have. Brothers and sisters, he says, not any of you should become teachers, because we know that we teachers will be judged more strictly. And with three deft examples, he illustrates the disproportionate effect a misplaced word can have. Think of the bit that directs a horse, he says. Think of the rudder that steers a ship. Think of the flame that starts a forest fire. It is sometimes suggested that we have fallen prey to political correctness, that we are too easily offended and people need thicker skins. But James might disagree. Our words are not inconsequential, certainly when talking about things that matter. In James's context, the teacher might be a rabbi, Rabbi would be tasked with interpreting the Torah, the scriptures. There was no more sacred relationship in Judaism than that of the rabbi and the disciple. For in the rabbi's teaching, they represented God to the people and the people to God. It was a position of no small responsibility, and still is, any time any of us seek to offer words on behalf of the Almighty. Use your words they can have a power unto themselves, and they cannot be brought back in once they are released into the world. Anyone who has found themselves stamping out a thousand tiny fires, all threatening to burst into an inferno just because of an untimely comment, knows this all too well. Journalists can offer retractions. Celebrities can tweet apologies. And politicians can reframe their previous response, but no one can take back a word that had already been spoken. The horse has left the gate. The ship has already begun to turn. The fire is growing quicker than it can be contained. At first, James seems rather pessimistic about how to prevent this. We all make mistakes, and often, he writes, as if any of us need. People can tame, and already have tamed, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish, he says further on, but no one, no one can tame the tongue. But restraining our tongues may not be the solution. We shouldn't bless God and curse humans with the same mouth, he says. And then he offers three provocative questions. Can fresh water and salt water come from the same spring, and a fig tree grow olives, and a grapevine grow figs. Of course not, he says. And we might remember the theme that has run all throughout this little book, our actions reveal the faith of our hearts. And so James is looking inward to the source of our speech. We do not need to censor ourselves with some sort of dogged determination. If we tend to our hearts, our words will come. This is both easy and immensely hard. I shared all of what happened with my sermon and its impact on the man in that congregation those years ago with my mentor that weekend. We talked briefly on the phone and then at length in her office when she returned. She welcomed my explanation, but refused either to speculate where I had gone wrong or to suppose that I had done everything. We didn't go over my sermon, line by line, word by word. She asked me questions instead, and invited 
might be into a practice of self-reflection. Where did my words come? Where was my heart? Slowly but eventually, it became clear. I wanted something right More than anything else, I had wanted to preach the right thing. And as it turns out, it's possible to be right and still get it wrong. In the, end, in the end, James doesn't seem particularly worried about theological mishaps stemming from our imperfect speech. He doesn't seem to fret about accidentally undermining the Trinitarian character of God or contradicting the Nicene Creed. He's not all that concerned about whether we fumble over the dual humanity and divinity of Christ or whether we can explain the difference between provenient, sanctifying, and justifying grace. Instead, James would remind us that we are all made in God's image. Every one of us. And so is he accordingly. It's possible to correctly name the truth without speaking in love and so be right, but still be wrong. As slaves used to sing from the cotton field to the point of look toward the master's church, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. They knew well then what it was like to hear some people name lofty truths about God while using their words to diminish others made in the image of God. And still today, people of color in this country are disproportionately arrested, convicted, imprisoned, and killed, and then talked about as if their lives and the image of God in them does not matter. Our language can be a James would have us bless each other this is not to negate the need to speak the truth, to speak out against anyone who, did, who would demean a child of God based on race or gender or orientation or anything else. But it is to remember that the one we are speaking to, whether they themselves are in the right or the wrong, are a child of God themselves. The retired United Methodist Bishop Will Willimon wrote once, truth and love don't stand in opposition. Possible that if I had preached a more loving sermon those few years ago, the police officer in the congregation might still have left. Even Jesus preached a sermon once that so angered the gathered congregation that they tried to throw him out of town and off a cliff in one sweeping motion. But even then, Jesus' message there and always was one of welcome for all the children. And when he called his disciples, there was a fisherman alongside the tax collector mistreated right there alongside the one who was caught up in the system that perpetuated the oppression and injustice of the Roman Empire. Love your neighbor, Jesus Jesus said, and bless those who curse you. James would remind us that words can do both and would have us set our hearts on blessing, but our words our words. This is what I learned from Mrs. Connors, standing at the top of the high school stairwell as she marked the words I fumbled in Robert Frost's book. There was always next time, and when you're trying to capture a truth about life and death, about love and living, well, it's worth trying to get it right, no matter how many times. And if the limbs we climb out on dip us
us back down to the ground instead of launching us into heaven. If we fail to bring together the kingdom of God and the reality of what is, but we can climb on up and die. One could do worse than be a swimmer of virtues. And let us now to stand as we are able as we continue in worship with our next hymn, which is Lord Speak to Me. It's number 463 in the hymn. We're singing verses 1, 3, 4, and 5. Thank you for watching our live worship. Let us stand as we're able that we might sing together. 